Let's say hello to Betty Teller, humorist, food writer, and favorite columnist here in Napa Valley. It's always a good time when hanging out with Betty. You're going to enjoy the show. In the meantime, let me invite you down to my family's winery. It's Judd's Hill. You know that. We're located on the south end of the Silverado Trail here in the beautiful Napa Valley. Love to show you a good time with fine wines and friendly folks. Visiting information is at judshill.com. There's no apostrophe in that, just judshill.com. And there you're going to find our address. You're going to find out how to make a reservation. You're going to find food and wine pairing recipes. And you know what? You're going to find wine. It's really good wine. I vouch for it myself. Put some in your shopping cart. And as a special perk for being a listener, type in coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, JNVS, and get 15% off your entire wine order. If you want a better deal than that, you can join our Judd's Hill Wine Club. It's free to join. You're going to get our wines. You're going to get invitations to great events and lots of other very cool perks. Looking forward to seeing you here at the winery. Until then, enjoy the show. Ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live. From the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, we welcome the man whom I'm a fan, who makes life grand, and here's the man, John Finkelstein. Right on, Mr. Lauren Mole. That was delightful. Thank you. You're welcome, Judd. Hey, it's good to be back. It's great to be here. Nice to see you. What is happening? It is It is a new month. Happy, it is. Happiness to you this month of December. It is. What's happening? Well, this Thursday, December 3rd at 7.30 at the Lincoln Theater in Yachtville, the third annual uh, Rock the Season concert presented by Terry Bradford and the Napa Valley Community Chorus. Aha. Always a highlight. It is. And why are you so interested in this show, sir? Because I'm actually in it. You're in the show. That's right. You're singing in the community chorus. That's right. Do you want to tell us what some of the numbers you are, you're, you're involved in? or No, you're, keep, you're, you're shaking your head. You want to keep this a, it's a no spoilers. That's what you're telling me. That's right. However, if people come to the show, what are they going to get? Um, you'll just have to find out what the songs are yourself. Well, okay, as far as the song selection, but who's performing? Oh, not only are we the Napa Valley Community Chorus performing, but uh, we have a special band led by uh, Del Atkins from the Aretha Franklin Band. Oh, wow. wow. And we have special guests, uh, Broadway diva Carol Dennis Dillon, uh, legendary tap dancer Ivory Wheeler, and uh, Peter Michael Escovito from uh, The Wayne Brady Show. No kidding. All that's happening this Thursday night. That's right, at the Lincoln Theater in Johnville at 7.30. And tickets can be had at lincolntheater.com. Yes. And by the way, Jed, I just found this out, but uh, we have an extra rehearsal at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, Wednesday. Uh-oh, so what are you going to do for the Artie Party Show? Hmm, well, maybe they could find someone to fill in for me. Oh, who could they get on short notice? Hmm. Should I give them my number? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no? Oh, thanks for that vote of confidence, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> it's actually someone else. Oh, well. Oh, well. I do enjoy the Artie Party show. I'll, I'll be sorry not to be seeing you tomorrow night, but I'll, I'll have to see who the surprise announcer is since it's not going to be me. That's right. 
<laughs> He's very forceful, isn't he? He is. Yeah. And uh, I've also I also had a great Thanksgiving too. I spent Thanksgiving with the with the family at home. Had a nice time. I did. It was a success. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I know you enjoy having time with family and celebrating the holidays. Last night I was doing a project with the Toot Suite folks who were in here. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually saw you on there last night. Oh, did you watch that? I did. That was really fun. Thanks for tuning in. It was a success. It I was a tell. sake drinking show, and it was oh, wow. a ton of fun. It, it was great. It was over at Morimoto with former guest Eduardo Dingler, who's a wine and sake expert, on camera. And then the Toot Suite folks produced it, and they had been in here. Susan told me that she looks for you every time she's in Rayleigh's, but hasn't run into you yet. But... Now that she knows that's where you are, she's always looking to say hi. So okay. one of these days, you'll guys will meet up there. Oh, that's fine. So, so what's been going on with you, John? Anything going on over at the winery? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, this coming Sunday, December 6th, it's our 10th annual Hanukkah Hootenanny. All right. Congratulations, is, John. Okay. Uh, thank you. It's 10 years of, of a great party. It's, it's a benefit for Community Health Initiative Napa County, which is a wonderful organization that that ensures that all residents of Napa County have access to health insurance and health care. If you want to find out more about them, NapaCHI.org. But our party is this Sunday, December 6th, from, from noon to 2.30. It's at the winery. It's free for our wine club members, and they can pick up their December wine club shipment. Others uh, who would like to come, it is open to the public. It's $55. Includes, includes all kinds of fun stuff. Go to the JudsHill.com website. Click on Events. All the information is there. It's going to happen rain or shine. RSVPs are very important. So if you do decide to come and get your tickets, or if you're a wine club member, call the winery, talk to Cindy, that's our wine club director, and let her know you're coming. And we do ask that all folks bring a new in-the-package but unwrapped toy, which we uh, donate every year, take them over to the fire station for the Toys for Tots. And also, if you would please bring some non-perishable food that we can donate to the food bank. Also coming up on December 19th and 20th, I'm always so excited about this. I just love this production. It's the Nutcracker. It's, it's delightful. It's darling. It's a tradition. Thank you. I was waiting for a professional <laughs> writer to come in here with a, another descriptor. It's December 19th and 20th at Lincoln Theater. Also, tickets available, lincolntheater.com. There's going to be a live symphony for all performances this year, which is going to be spectacular. It's a great costumed period piece. Uh, Napa Regional Dance always does a great job. December 19th, there is a matinee at 2 o'clock and an evening performance at 7. And then uh, the next day, Sunday the 20th, just the matinee at 2 o'clock. So get your tickets. Tons of fun to be had here in Napa Valley. That's all I've got to say about all of that right now. Well, that's great, Jack. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we should get on with this show. Why not? Would you like to introduce our guest? Oh, sure. I got the intro right here in my hand. Fabulous. <laughs> As a writer and editor, our guest, a fab speller. To her, words are precious like gold, frankincense, and, well, myrrh. She knows all about the great wines down in the cellar and cooks with fine aromatic herbs, so go ahead and smell her. <laughs> her columns about food are written with prose quite stellar. Now let's meet this lovely lady, the Napa Dweller. Betty Teller. <laughs> Betty Teller, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Judge? I am very well. I'm very happy to have you here. You are your Napa's famed, iconic food columnist with your weekly column that comes out. Well, It's, it's actually bi-weekly. Oh, it's bi-weekly? Yeah, if I had to write it every week, I'd kill myself. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, we don't want that. Well, I, 
I think of you as the Tuesday morning person. Maybe I only read the, the paper every other Tuesday. I didn't realize that. But I do look forward to your column, I guess, every other Tuesday. And I'm glad that you're joining us here because I want to find out more about you and how, how you came to be Napa's uh, premier food columnist oh. and on and on and on. But let's let's back up just a touch. Um, I mean, you, your columns appear, of course, in our local Napa Register. Right. You've written for national magazines. You're well known in the food writing world. But how did how did this all come to be? Did you grow up in a in a writing family? Were you always a pencil in hand? You kind got of kid? it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I always say that you you grow up a writer if you have two parents who are editors and writers. Okay. Then and everything you write. Gets edited. Oh, sorry. Your father was in the newspaper. My father business. was a newspaper yeah. editor, and my mother wrote. Uh, she had a journalism degree, and she wrote for the local newspapers. Where was that? In Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Okay. I always said that you know I had the kind of mother who, when you brought home an A paper, looked at it and said, "Well, that's nice, dear, but wouldn't this have been a better choice of words?" Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's. I, I think the the way you learn how to write is to be edited and to learn how to take editing and mm-hmm. then to edit yourself, because. Writing is, I don't know. I mean, people always say, oh, your column sounds just like you. And I always think, I wish they knew how much work it took to make it sound like I was just talking. Is that right? Yeah. It doesn't just flow out. Well, reading it, it does seem that way. It seems like it's your voice because, you know, I've I've had the pleasure of your conversation in the past. And when I read your column, this sounds like she just kind of sat down and is telling me, a story as she would if we were just sitting down, but that's not how it works for you. Huh? No, it's it's you know it's how like in real life you always wish that you had a scriptwriter so that you can could come up with the perfect choice of words yeah. instead of twenty minutes after the argument, you know. <laughs> right. And so that's what it's like when you're writing is that you can you can start to tell the story, but then I you know I have to go back and do rewriting in order to make it sound like the story I wish I'd told. Mm, I see. Well. Yeah. You're obviously very good, and I know you do a lot of editing for others as well. I do. Did you grow up in a foodie kind of family? Was this how you got into the food side of writing? Not really. Actually, I mean, my mother was a very good cook. Mm -hmm. So we did, and we grew up with, you know, family dinners every night at 730. And, you know, she got dinner on the table, and it was always very good. But, in fact, she was always kind of, get out of my kitchen, you know, the kitchen. She didn't really want help. But somehow we all, had three sisters, and we all grew up liking food, and we eventually all of us learned how to cook. So we must have absorbed something. But, you know, when I go back to look for old family recipes, you know, I'm very envious of people who come from these ethnic backgrounds where they have all these great old family recipes and they can write a cookbook. But I go back to, to my mother's, and I discover that they came from various other cookbooks, Okay. And, you know, that she really it's wasn't. It came from somewhere. Yeah, it came from somewhere. But, I mean, I don't think she learned them from her mother. I see. Um, it wasn't passed down to the It wasn't passed down because she was, the, she was the youngest of five kids. And by the time she came along, I think, you know, my grandmother was tired. She wasn't really, <laughs> she wasn't really doing much of, you know, the cooking. I think she was more raised by her older sisters I anyway. See. Was there a style that she liked to cook or certain dishes that you remember were her signatures that maybe stuck with you? Um. Basically, the, what I remember, she grew up in, in a small town in, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. in, the, in the middle of Pennsylvania, and it was kind of farm country. And the one thing that she would never use was any kind of canned vegetable. Oh, no. I mean, which in the day was, you know, they were pretty common. Right. But she only used either fresh or frozen. Mm-hmm. So we always grew up with kind of real, real food and real vegetables. And she, and she didn't like, um, like, we never had Wonder Bread in the house, Did much she to my dismay. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, you, yes. wanted, you wanted it. Oh, of course I wanted it. It was cool. You know, just like I wanted TV dinners. Right, I all mean, the kids you know. are eating them. Yeah. Gotcha. You didn't want to be so different. My mother tended to buy challah. Why and, not? Which Delicious. It, no. Makes, she tended no? to buy day-old challah. Oh. Very dry. <laughs> well, the worst I... sandwiches imaginable. But probably the best French uh, French toast. Yes, it did make good French toast. You can take stale challah and make delicious French yeah. toast. Yeah, it's got the egg in it already, and then mm-hmm. you add more. So yeah, wonderful. Yeah, no, she baked. A f- you know, she had a few specialties, and there are there are certainly things I make to this day that that were her specialties. What are um, some of the flavors that you reminisce about with your mother that that come through in your cooking today? Well, in terms of pastries, there's there's a, a recipe that I don't think I've ever had anyone else make. Um, that we always called Schnecken. 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 Which Lauren, is, you ever had a little holiday Schnecken? Never. Okay. Yeah, probably never will. Well, well don't say that. Let's let's keep an open <laughs> you mind. You may have, uh, you know. Um, but actually, Schnecken means cookie, I think, in German. And I think my father named them that. They're not really cookies. Oh. So it's it's an incorrect name anyway. Like a New York egg cream. Yeah. No exactly. egg, no cream. No egg, no cream. Okay. Right. Um, but actually, um, Schnecken is more like a strudel. Uh, well, it's... It's kind of a, ru- a rugla and a strudel together. It's like a super rich dough rolled okay. up around. Rugla um, is like a, a rolled up kind a, of. It's a rolled up cookie c- with kind of it's, filling. It's make, you make a roll and then you slice it, and mm-hmm. so you end up with these sort of, I don't know, kind of little nuggets. Well, they're not nuggets. They're more like. Um, what, well, like, I don't even know. They're rugla. <laughs> yeah. They're, well, I think of them as nuggets because they're, they're small pieces. They're small but they're pieces, rolled but up, they're sliced. Baked. No, yeah. they're, you know, I mean, you, you make a roll and then yeah. you slice it. So you end up with, you know, these. I think we're saying the same thing I in different ways. This the is same. why you're the professional writer. You've got right. the better words for it. <laughs> well, apparently, words are failing me. But anyway, um, but you no, know, it's, a, it's a wonderful, rich um, thing. In fact, I, I can't make it very often because otherwise they would, you know, the entire. Two sticks of butter and a container of sour cream that are in the dough would wow. end up on my hips. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Has this uh, recipe ever made it into any of your columns? Have you talked about Schnecken? I don't know if I put it in the column or not. That's, that's an idea. Maybe that would be the next recipe. I think maybe I ran it, but I can't remember. I read your columns, and you, even this last week, you wrote, I almost gave it up. I, this this was going to be the week before would have been my last column. I have nothing to write about. I, I have nothing's inspiring me. And then you say at the last minute something comes along. Well, it is true. And this I mean, could have been maybe yeah. this is it. Maybe Schnecken. Maybe Schnecken will the, be the inspiration. Who knows? Schnecken for the holidays yeah. with Betty Teller. Yeah, could be uh, your new book. My new Betty book. Teller's Schnecken and Other Delights. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You're already famous for your nuts. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting. I, can, I make them for other people at this point, but I can't even... I, I only make them, really, once or twice a year because I can't stand the smell anymore. Really? Yeah. They're delicious. They're, I know. They're amazing. What is it? You don't... The, the aromat... I think they're delightful. Yeah, no. It's, it's, it's after a while. Um, it's just a very strong, you know, mixture of spices. Okay. And other people love them, but I've just reached the point where I can't eat them anymore. Well, I hope you'll make them again. They, oh, I, they're, I, they're fabulous. I, you know, I usually make them for gifts for Christmas and, and, uh, and uh, you know, for a party I have every year. You know, I'm looking. I'm not sure. Your, your mic might have gone out just there for a minute. Really? Okay. There. Is that better? It's kind of in and out. In you and know, out. You want to switch to that middle mic? I We're will do a little switch live, to that mic. Live switch in here, guys. Oh, you just move over. scooch over there a little bit. And while you're doing that, uh, I was just... How's Inspired. That? I think they're coming through there. Okay. 
you know, last week we had James McNair, the famous cookbook author, the king of the single subject cookbook. Maybe you could start giving him run for his money where he has James McNair's <laughs> cold pasta, James McNair's beans, James McNair's cake. I know. We I have several of his cookbooks. James McNair's pizza. That's Absolutely. I've got Another that. We good could have one. Yeah. Betty Teller's schnecken, <laughs> Betty Teller's nuts. <laughs> oh, no. The, actually, the nuts are the one recipe I never give out. You don't give out. Betty Teller's out. brownies. Betty Teller, you know, Betty Teller doesn't make brownies very often. No. Oh well, <laughs> I just gave him my best shot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, the irony is, I do give out recipes for, and I do bake a lot. But I actually have no sweet tooth. I really don't actually almost ever eat dessert, and no I don't really, I don't really that. like sweet. Wow. So what? What do you do? You often find yourself at these lavish events where you're either writing about or have been invited because of your status in the world of food and when they come around with dessert you just pass it off or no, you kind of dump I'll it in your I'll have a bite you know that's it I, little... unless well if it's really rich I'll eat it you know because if it's got enough butter in it I'll eat anything <laughs> that's up but, your alley yeah butter is my you know favorite food uh with my dad's too so mm. there's nothing wrong with butter nothing wrong with butter in fact it's back on the good food list is yeah. that right? Do tell. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, there have just been some study. You know, for all those years, they're always taking away all the things that taste good and saying, you know, oh, no, it's bad for you. Right. And then you turn around and, like, I don't know, a few years later, oh, that wasn't so bad for you. Well, I remember butter. Don't eat butter. It's full of uh, fat. It'll right. raise your cholesterol. Go to right. margarine. It's made from vegetables, but now they're saying that hydrogenated oil that margarine is made for is one of yeah. the worst things you yeah. can put in your body. Yeah, margarine is much worse for you than butter. Okay, uh, you in heard my it opinion, here. anyway. <laughs> um, and it, no, and certainly it's, they've come out with a lot of studies which says don't. You know, I do, I, I my theory, and I, maybe I did learn this from my mother, is I, I like to eat real food. Mm -hmm. I like my food to be made from real ingredients, and you know, as close to a natural material as possible. And, it makes sense know, to me. And I've always eaten that way, and it's interesting how the the fads come and go, and then you you know, and then you turn out to be right all along anyway. So <laughs> I figured I'll oh, just stick to that course. Well, your fad as a kid was Wonder Bread and TV dinners, and yeah, <laughs> gotten away from that now to the natural stuff. So maybe I don't know. Is there going to be? Is it going to be cyclical? Or are we going to start heading back? Or are we now firmly entrenched in eating real food, which I think is a good thing? Well, I think you know we live in California. It's mm -hmm. easy to be entrenched in eating real food because yeah. we have it all around us, and it's very easy to get. I would say that what always seems to happen in this country is that there's the trend, and then the big food companies jump on it. So everything now says it's all natural. Right. And what does that mean? I really don't know. I mean, I, I, what's an all-natural chicken? That's The last chicken I bought said all-natural, and I thought, well, yeah. Well, natural, I think, can mean... Many things, if you look at the FDA's guidelines about what all-natural is. Yeah, I doubt they have any. You might still be disgusted by what's in it, but... But it's, it's all-natural. It's natural, exactly. Yeah. I think what's the crushed-up uh, beetles for the red dye, the... the, what they, oh, the, yeah. The, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but that's all-natural, but it's a red dye. Yes. Cochineal, yeah. Exactly. So you never know. Was your schooling, when you, when you went to school, college, was that in writing? Um, no, actually, I was a history major, um, undergrad. Yeah? So um, my... Subject was really 19th and 20th century material culture. So, wow, sort of objects as history. Oh. You know, I've, I've always been interested in the way that everyday objects 
tell you stories about things. So I guess that food is a natural extension of that. But, well, that's interesting because yeah. I know you, I'm not sure what you did there, but I know you did work at the Smithsonian for I some did. time. And then, well, let's talk, what, what did you do there? Okay. I was an exhibition developer. Um, and my master's was actually in American studies and in museum studies. So hmm. I continued on that. And in fact, I wrote my thesis on um, American furniture manufacturer. Wow. You know? So, you know, it's like my field was really, though, crafts and decorative arts, really objects again. And my beat, I worked in the traveling exhibition service at the Smithsonian. And what we did was we worked with various museums to help them create exhibitions that traveled to other museums around the country. Mm-hmm. So I would work with a curator to develop an exhibition, either one they'd already done in the you know, in a larger scale, or one they were thinking of doing, or just some from a small collection. We also worked with people from other museums around the country. We didn't just work exclusively within the Smithsonian. But anyway, I would work with them to help turn it into an exhibition. So that was my expertise, was helping the objects tell their story. Wow. Is there something you can give us an example of, of a certain exhibition that you curated and, you know, what well, the meaning and the impact of the objects okay. in it Well, were. and I would say I worked with a curator. So I almost always worked with someone who was the actual subject matter expert. And mm. I, was, I was the one helping translate it for the public. Yeah, I had a couple shows. Oh, your writing skills. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. I didn't even realize that I was using writing skills, but they really were. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, no, one of my favorite shows, actually one of our biggest, was uh, one on the history of the movies that was called Hollywood Legend and Reality. And that... Mm. That was a huge, very complicated show that included Rosebud and the Ruby Slippers. The actual objects. The actual objects. Oh, yeah, Yoda. And <laughs> uh, we had some amazing things in it. Costume, the, the dress that Marilyn Monroe wore when she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Oh, did you try it and, on? No. Did you meet Yoda? I helped. Yoda's hand. Yoda's <laughs> hand. <laughs> um, Not many folks can say that. No. You know what? At the next, I know you're very uh, involved in the, the charitable events that happen around Napa Valley. Maybe at the next fundraiser you're at, just put in "Shake the Hand That Shook the Hand of Yoda" <laughs> ten bucks or twenty five bucks, whatever. Oh wow! I'll bet you get some takers. That that would be. I don't know that the idea of celebrity by. Uh, connection has always sort of made me feel a little bit like eh, seriously hey i was at an event once and they offered get a high five from a guy that high-fived hulk hogan five bucks for a fundraiser so i whipped out wow. a five man i got a high five from a guy that high-fived hulk hogan i'd, I'd pay for yoda too why not <laughs> okay depending on the charity okay but. all right jed well i'll, I'll <laughs> offer that at your charity <laughs> All right, so the Smithsonian, you have your experience with the exhibitions, and this is what brought you to Napa, right? This yeah, is... well, yeah, I worked at the Smithsonian for 20 years, actually. Oh, 20 years. Um, yeah, I was there quite a long time, and I did a whole range of them, and I probably did, I don't know, more than 100 exhibitions, and I also supervised people who did exhibitions, so, you know, I had my hands in a lot mm. of shows, but, I, you know, it gets a little old after a while. You start to feel like you've been doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. Yes, I came out here actually with another exhibition job, which was to help build, you know, from scratch, Copia. So I, I came out here as the, as the exhibition director before the place, you know, when it was just an idea on paper. Oh, so you're a founding director. I'm a found, the founding exhibition director, wow. I guess you could call that. Yeah, and I, so I came out here in 1998. Uh, Copia opened in 2001, so in 1998 and came out and planned and actually did really curate the permanent exhibition as well as the whole exhibition program. And I was there overall. I was there for seven years. 
So I left in 2005. 2005. But bef- that was before Copia died. Yeah, what, I'm trying to remember what year did it close I think it closed in 2008. It's been that long. It's been that long, oh, yeah. Okay. Glad to see the building, you know, hopefully we'll have some new life soon. Had you begun your food writing already, or did that happen once you left Copia? I actually really didn't have time to do the food. Mm. I, the column was something that I'd wanted to do while I was at Copia, and it was just too big a job to really have time to do that, too. Well, so you know what? Before you, after. before you continue that story, and I'm sorry to do this, but being live radio, we do have to take a break. So when we come back, we're going to get into your food writing, your column, and okay. much, much more with Betty Teller. Okay. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Everyone's a Fingal friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live in Detroit, Michigan at KVON.com. Back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right, Betty Teller, famed food writer. Detroit, Michigan, and anywhere that the internet can be had. Okay. Uh, this show can be heard at kvon.com or uh, via the iTunes store by looking up Judd's Napa Valley Show. All the past episodes are there. We're coming up on our 100th episode. Wow. Warren, you realize that, right? Yeah, well, I, I do realize that, yeah, but the week- it's not really going to be my 100th episode. Well, it's this show. You came on a little bit later, not right. much later, but you know, maybe it'll be your 96th episode or something like that. But uh, the, so. it, the 100th episode of Judd's Napa Valley Show is mm-hmm. coming up. We'll be celebrating on the 15th of December, and this show will be quite the bonanza. So please tune in from 9 to 10 for the 100th episode. Big old bonanza. All right. Betty Teller. Food columnist, writer, all around interesting lady. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you, you, you brought something today. Uh, we do a little bit on the show called Get Your Hands on Judd's Goodies. And the, right. my guests often bring me some goodies. And I've never had anybody bring anything quite like this. Would you like to? Well. <laughs> tell me about this. Oh, well, it's it's a roller skate, actually, a pair of roller skates. There are two. I mean, yes, one for each foot. One for each foot. Same yeah, size, I think. They're from probably the 80s, and I actually used to wear those roller skates and roll around on them. I was actually terrible, but... Um, but they're the they're not the inline skates. They're the ones with the big fat wheels. Yeah, these are quads. Yeah, uh, four wheels. Uh, the big rubber uh, brake on the front. That's right. It's blue rubber, and to describe it, it looks like um, sort of like an early '80s Adidas shoe. Yes. It's a white shoe with blue leather stripes bolted onto these skates, and they're. They're beautiful. Maybe these should be a museum piece for one of your exhibits. Well, you know, they practically almost are a museum piece in that they're getting to be almost an antique. But they, and they're also very lightly used. Okay. They don't look thrashed at all. They look in yeah, great condition. As I said, I wasn't a particularly good roller skater, and I ended up not doing that much of it. But I had these roller skates. I don't know. It was one of those interests that crossed my brain at one point yeah. back in the 80s. And now I've reached the point I realize I'm... Well, I uh, I sprained my ankle about a month ago. Not oh, no. roller skating, okay. just walking. Doing roller disco. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, okay. no, just come, just misstepping off a step, and I thought, you know, I think I've reached the point in life <laughs> when I'm probably not going to put roller skates on again. Okay, so we're giving them away today. We're Should we give them the away. size in case? Yeah, they're wants size to eight. Size eight roller skates, not quite antiques, but a period piece. A period. If you're piece. going to a early '80s. 
roller skating party. You you need these. I, oh, absolutely. You need these. There. I maybe there's a costume shot that shop that needs them. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. Well, if if you'd like them, all you have to do is be the first person to tweet. You've got to use Twitter. Tweet with the hashtag JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show. You know, write, I want to get Judd's goodies or getting my hands on Judd's goodies. Put at Judd's Hill on there. It's one word, Judd's Hill, at Judd's Hill. That'll get to me immediately. The first tweet that comes in gets Betty Teller's skates. And uh, what's and you, that? And you don't, you know, Judd... I thought I'd like to do the same thing, too, since I'd never been given that chance before. Oh, you've got something you want to give away? Uh, sure. It's in this little box right here. Oh, let's have a look. Sure. See, wait till you see what's inside. It's very special. That oh, I my goodness. So, that I thought someone might, would, would like to have for their Hanukkah party. This is very timely as yes. well. This, this is great. This was a giveaway at the San Francisco Giants. Yes. At their Jewish Heritage Night, I That's believe. That's right. And you got it there? It's a, it's a San Francisco Giants very large wooden dreidel. You can play Spin the Dreidel for Hanukkah coming up, uh, I believe, Sunday night, the holiday starts, and celebrate everyone's favorite team here, uh, the San Francisco Giants, with this large orange dreidel with black lettering, and it comes with a uh, black base to stand it on. Makes a nice uh, piece for your desk as well if you're a big Giants fan or dreidel fan in the Giants colors, black and orange. Thanks, uh, Lauren. This will be a gift pack. These will go together. So the first tweet in Gets that. Hashtag JNVS. They certainly do go well together, don't they? Yeah. Dreidel. <laughs> I'm, well, actually, this first night of Hanukkah, I've been invited to a roller skate dreidel party. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Perfect. So, I wish I could win these, yeah, but I'm seriously. ineligible. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's right. All right. So you started your column. We were just getting into that. Oh, yeah. Well, that was actually after I left Copia. I started it. Um, but, you know, and it was mostly, I think, because... Um, when I left Copia, so many people assumed I would also leave town. Mm. I don't quite know why. And, and I guess it's because when you work in a museum, there weren't many options. Mm. And so, you know, leaving Copia, it was, my choice was I could work in a museum, which would mean moving to some other place and, and reestablishing things and yeah. working in yet another nonprofit without enough money. Or, <laughs> or I could find something else to do. And and stay in Napa, which, hey, that was kind of a no-brainer. You found you liked Napa. I found I liked Napa very much. I, you know, love my little house, and I really wanted to, you know, to stick around. So I actually just sort of shifted gears and sort of looked at what it is that I knew how to do, mm-hmm. and as opposed to what jobs I had done. And I realized that, that writing was a skill that I had not even... I always thought writing was like breathing. It's something I just took... Took for granted. It comes naturally to you. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, there's a lot of training in there, but it does feel like it comes naturally. And so uh, I never really valued it. Hmm. But one of the things that I did notice when I was at Copia was that people were always coming to me to do, to edit things or to write things, and they were always telling me what a great writer I was. And I thought, well, that's so weird because (laughs) can't everybody do that? So I thought saw it as a skill. So that's that's so that's a long way around. But I did start the column um, after I left Copia, partly almost. Well, I mean, it was almost on a whim. I went to a. Um, I'm a member of a group called the uh, Culinary Historians of Northern California, mm. and I was always. I mean, I was there at the first meeting, and but it started. What while, is? It? I just have to ask. What? Oh, give me the thirty second pitch. What that is? It's a great little group. It, it's just a group of people who are interested in food history. 
and um, our fearless founder, Erica, finds great people to come talk to us, uh, very often people who've just written books. We, the, the group now meets most often at Omnivore Books in San Francisco, oh, which wow. is a cookbook books bookstore but we also meet occasionally other places but there's you know people with academic connections who are doing research and people who've written books and you know we you know we meet about once a month and there's always something interesting. It sounds fascinating. It I've, is fascinating. All right, let's talk yeah. offline. Maybe okay. we can include well, some of them in a future show. That yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah, I, and Erica would be fascinating. She Great. wrote a book about recent, most recently about San Francisco um, food, you know, restaurant and food history. Oh, right so, up my alley. All yeah. right, we'll talk. But we're right. here to talk about but you. Yeah, we're talking about me. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so so we uh, one of the sessions was on food memoir. And there were about four different people who'd written food memoirs talking. And I was like, finally, I wasn't actually working. I thought, I have time to read the books. Hmm. So I sat down and read like about four books before the, the food memoir one. And some of them were very good and some of them were kind of okay. And part of me went, really? I could do better than this uh-huh. after some of them. So I did. I just sat down and wrote a couple stories up thinking – Oh, well, this is kind of interesting. Let me see if I can write something up. And I gave, I sent one to Sasha Paulson, really the features editor at the paper, not intending to pitch a column so much as just to say, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And she ran it. She, oh, she just ran it. <laughs> she ran you it. anticipated my next question. It's one yeah. thing to sit down and write something, but then to become a published columnist is entirely uh, yeah, something I, else. So. Yeah, I, I didn't really intend to so much as I was just exploring, but... Um, she liked it, and she she did it. And it started out about once a month, so I, I sort of eased into it. But then we, we moved it up to every every two weeks, not that far, you know, along. Wow. And, you and know. And you've been doing it And I've been doing it 10 years 10 now. 10 years. Congratulations. 10 years. Thank you. Now, I, I, really, I really enjoy your columns. They, well, you're a good storyteller. Thank you. That's it. You know, I was reading yeah. through some of your – well, I read them. When they come out in the paper, but then gearing up for the show, I was looking back at some of them that are on your blog and on the internet, and I was thinking, oh, I want her to tell this story. I want her to tell this story. I want her to tell this story. Like, we'll run out of time. You know, we could have just read your columns as the show, and it would have been very entertaining, and we would have had a great time, but, you know, I wanted to find out a little bit more about you. So I do urge folks, every other Tuesday, pick up the Napa Valley Register, if you subscribe or go online, read them. Do you have them archived online somewhere or is the register website the, um, the best place to go well actually yeah to find them archived you probably have to go to the register but i also send them out electronically to an email list it's i do it more like in a newsletter format so if people want to get in touch with me and be included on the list that's easy enough maybe they can do it through you if well, all if i need you want is, to give up all i need is an or... email address yeah you can send me an email at amuse hyphen bush which is the name of the column mm-hmm. At sbcglobal.net. And I, I maintain it's, it's not a, a huge list. It's maybe about 1,000 people. But I actually have readers and fans in, like, other parts of the country. That's cool. That's cool. And I can see how folks would get, uh, you know, drawn into your writing because it's not just about food. When you, when you write these columns, I mean, you combine food. That's usually the catalyst for for the for well, the column, I, I but try to at least reference food so they'll keep me on the food page. <laughs> right. But I mean you're a humorist, you give perspectives on life and your family and and your cat and, and by the way I'm sorry to that your kitty uh, yeah, passed away. My, my poor the star of the column, Eddie Haskell. Yeah. Uh yes, he died about a month ago. 
Oh boy. So are, how are you going to draw inspiration now? I said I don't know. <laughs> and and maybe that's it. As you said in last week's column, this was you're about to call it quits and then someone invited you to a pizza and martini party. <laughs> and right. said, okay, maybe I'll keep writing. <laughs> yeah. No, there, you know, there's always something coming up. I I don't I'm always feel I always feel like calling it quits when I stare at a blank screen mm. because that's the the essence of writer's block is what do you say? And then as soon as something starts coming out, I'm fine. That's good. Well, I liked your quote from last week's column where you said, I'll have to drink martinis more often. Uh, they really are a great spur for creativity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll live by that. In yeah. fact, I'm going to tell the story about uh, many years ago when you okay. came up to me and you wanted to do a story about our uh, cocktail appreciation guild here in Napa Valley called FOAM, right. Friends of Ardent Mixology. I said, that's great. We have a meeting coming up. Uh, you should come. He said, well, I can't come that night. I'm the copy editor. Yeah, or... I, I used to, two nights a week, I used to copy edit at the at the register. Yeah, so you said, I can't make it that night. I'm the copy editor at the register that night. I have to go through the whole paper and make sure everything's good before it gets uh, sent out. I said, oh, I understand. And he said, well, what time is it again? I, said, I told you, you said, well, maybe I can come down like one hour and then I have to go back. Well, you came down. It was in downtown Napa at someone's home, and we're having this great presentation on uh, spirits. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Charbet. It was Marco Charbet. from Charbet yep. was there doing some wonderful cocktails and talking about his family history. And you were having a good time. You lasted more than an hour. I think you stayed for the whole meeting. And no, I think I, I, I did have to sneak back and go finish the. You paper. may have, but you you also <laughs> oh, you also told me you probably weren't going to be doing any drinking. Oh yeah, and cocktail. I told you that I really didn't drink spirits at all. Yeah, well. Whatever, because <laughs> because Betty, uh, I think you and I clinked glasses a few times oh, that did. evening, and uh, you I think went I back. tasted absolutely everything. Yep, yeah, I, I think so. And then the next day, as a subscriber to the register, I picked up the paper and combed through, and you know, I think it was the most pristine I've ever <laughs> seen that paper. There was not one comma out of place. That's the secret. I think as so. You said, it's I, your martini. That's. It could be gets you on your game. Gets me on my game. I uh, know. I don't. You know. But it. It's there. I did end up joining Foam though, and um, yeah, yeah, learning quite a lot about cocktails over the years with it. So. You came to observe, and you left a member. Left a member. <laughs> That's fantastic. Happy, happy to have you here. Yeah. Oh, I know what I want to ask you. Reading through one of your articles, you were talking about your very first night in Napa Valley and how you unpacked, and then you immediately had to go to Robert Mondavi's 85th birthday. Yes. And what a spectacle it was with the you know, wine glasses everywhere. Oh, my God. I'd never food, seen so wine. many wine glasses in my life. That's not bad. You show up, and on your first night, you're at Robert Mondavi's birthday party? Yeah, well, it was, you know, I mean, it's been downhill ever since. What can I say? <laughs> no, I, it was... It was an extraordinary way to be introduced to the valley, but I yeah. had no clue about anything. I mean, I really didn't know what was going on. And I'd had one wine tasting class when I was, you know, living in Washington. But <laughs> really, I was very proud that I could tell which grapes were red and which were white when I looked at a menu. Well, that is I important. Mean, that would, but that was as far as my education had gone. And then I'm sitting at this dinner, and there were, I think, seven glasses in front of me. And, you know, that was for the first course. No, okay. no, it was okay. for the for the right. for the evening. But you okay. know, it's one of those tables where they set it with just a zillion glasses, and then as with each course, you're getting a different wine. Yeah. 
And um, I didn't actually realize that you probably weren't supposed to just drink them all down. <laughs> you know, that it might have been smart to, you know, pace myself. But they were also good. Yeah, of course. And, you know, and what I didn't notice is that, you know, the waiters would come and refill them if you drank them down, you know. Oh, yeah. So it was it was quite a nice night, but I really don't remember much of it. Okay, then I won't, I won't ask you to, to reflect on any of your experiences there. But I will ask you something, because you also mentioned that the attire that was asked for was wine country casual and you had to figure that out right now look i've lived here decades how old am i i don't know but i hear that term all the time wine country casual i still don't know what to put on yeah Um, have you you figured this out the mystery of wine country casual well no i know what other people do but i i you know I, i have yet to understand what that really means because it is not casual it's actually wine country dressy, mm. but not dressy like black tie dressy with spangles and sequins and, you know, things. But more like, I, I think maybe the essence of wine country casual might be a long, flowing, hand-painted, silk over jacket that, you know, I mean, it's, you might call it casual, except it's dressy. I mean, Does that's that what I wear to the to movies. You? Is that? Oh wine yeah, country? exactly. Yeah. Just like what you wear to the movies. Lauren, uh, wine country casual. Any takes? Hmm. Any any thoughts on what that would entail in your wardrobe? Of course, like maybe a good shirt and tie. Good shirt and tie. Could a tie? I doubt think, there's a tie. Probably not the tie, but I a good doubt shirt. There's a tie. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking maybe a jacket with like a, a cross flag uh, lapel pin. Okay, that'd be nice. You're always very sharply dressed, by the way. So I, am. I would exactly <laughs> and, and confident. Um, so I appreciate your your yeah. take on the couture here. All right, so it's still a bit of a mystery. It's it's a total it's mystery, a a mystery, but you know, I feel like whatever it is, I I I must have it in my wardrobe because I never I don't stand out like a sore thumb at, when I go to events. So, <laughs> are you drawing any inspiration at this moment? At this very moment? At this very moment, sitting here, what we've talked about, maybe reflecting back on some of your history, can we, are we, ha- can we have a little preview of what maybe your next column will be like? Or is you know, anything... until I sit down and start to put words down. I know, I might, I was thinking I might, right, I went to the film festival, mm-hmm. um, was it the week before last, and I saw some amazing documentaries, two, two different ones about chefs, and okay. I might write about those because they were... Uh, they convinced me I never, ever want to work in a restaurant or own one. <laughs> what a tough business. Oh, my gosh. And those people are so devoted and so maniacal. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, I really don't know what I'll write about next. Maybe Schnecken. Schnecken, I'm telling you. <laughs> Schnecken is, Schnecken's on everybody's mind right now. Oh, well, now it is. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we love Schnecken. <laughs> I've never had it, but I'm I'm just going you out and saying love you would love I love Schnecken. Yeah. For the name alone. Pure butterfat. How what's not to love? <laughs> Are you using your art school major of weaving in any way in your life? Not at all. <laughs> no. How does one become a weaving well, major? You know, I, I went to art school actually after college. Ah. I say ah like that means ah, everything to me now. Okay. Now I understand. No, it, well, no, it was no. sort of an extra year sort of of school. Well, you know, it was the seventies. Um, and my first job actually after college was working in a crafts museum. So I was working surrounded with crafts people and I had already, I, I was interested in weaving. I, I had a loom and I did some work and I just sort of was really envious of all the people doing the artwork as opposed to the, those of us doing the museum grunt work. Mm. 
And so I thought, well, you know, I want to I want to go pursue this. I was thinking I would, you know, become an artist. Yeah, I don't really become an artist. I think you have to be born an artist. But I went to art school and I really enjoyed it, but I also realized that I actually felt like st- sticking around in a studio all day was making me insane. It's not your thing. So now not what you thing. do is you weave words and stories. Yeah, well, That's I actually wonderful. felt I used to say that one of the reasons that I gave up and I still knit and you know I can do things with yarn and uh, you know I mean I I know all the techniques that I well, learned. Well, I know your hobbies include knitting and cooking and raking the leaves in your backyard. Yeah, raking so, the leaves yeah. in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I but I like to say that you know I lived in a lot of places in my life and I never lived in one that actually had you know space for a weaving studio and storage and then the problem is you create projects and then you're left with them because where are you gonna what are you gonna do with them? I mean it's okay with sweaters, you can hand them, give them to people, yeah. but if you're making artworks, what are you gonna do with them? But I've I thought uh, but I've never not lived in a place you know, every every place I've lived has always had one room that was devoted with storage space for cooking. Wonderful. And you know, I mean every place has had a kitchen. That's a good thing. And and the great thing about cooking is that it's a success or it's a failure. Either way, it's gone the next day. It's gone, and you can have Move self-satisfaction. Yeah. Other people are very happy. Some people may not be happy to have a sweater knit or scarf or something right. woven, but if you feed them... Yeah. They're happy. Yeah. So I just I think I just moved my creative energy into cooking okay. sometime, you oh. know, back when I was living in DC. And I did take I used to take a lot of cooking classes and eventually I I um took the professional class that they offered at the place where I would take, you know, sort of the demonstration classes and I finally went and took the full year program. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, um, I think to get my diploma. I would say that the world is a more delicious place because of your transition into the world of cooking and food writing. And I've got to ask you something that uh, I don't know if anybody's asked you before. And so please take it for what it is. Uh, Honesty is appreciated, but if you don't feel like you want to answer, you don't have to. Um, Betty Teller. Mm -hmm. World-renowned. Oh, yeah. (laughs) World Food food columnist, uh, magazine writer, national publications, on and on and on. Do you go nuts for donuts? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, as I said, I don't have well, that much of a sweet tooth. But well, you said if, that already, and I'm thinking. But yeah, what? Did, at least but, open it up. I want you to open it up. If, take a if, look. Oh my god! Doesn't everybody go nuts for donuts? So, in this pink box, there are a few different types of donuts. So, even though you don't have a sweet tooth, you don't have to take a bite. But would you just select one that strikes you in some way? The one that strikes me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm torn between the two. I think I go for this one. The maple old fashioned. The maple. What? <laughs> that is the most popular donut on this show. Well into the 90th percentile of our guests choose. You didn't go for the pink glazed sprinkles oh, God, or the no. crumb or I don't, the I told you, or the fancy foods. French. I don't go for pink. Okay, I have that fancy, French, French, fancy one for you, but... French was my other my alternate choice. All right, that was for you. So what I'd like you to do for if you can take 30 seconds, mm-hmm. you, know, you can put it on this if you want. Oh, thank you. Um, 30 seconds. You are now back in your museum days. That donut is an object in your exhibit. What does the little plaque say? Oh, goodness. You know, I, I wish I knew more about the history of maple glazed donuts because then I could write a really good label about it. Um, it would probably say... You have Ten seconds. Well, okay, we'd have to have the date. <laughs> we'd have the name of it, maple walnut donut. It, um, you wouldn't describe it because... 
it's there in front of you, so you wouldn't say what it looks like. Um, although it's quite an interesting uh, Tory, as I think is the, the word for round C- things. Created by the historic and iconic uh, Buttercream Bakery, right. I, 65 I, years in Napa, that whole thing. Exactly. I would say it's... it's um, you know, and and it would be interesting to know how long they've been making this because that would be one of the interesting facts to okay. say. You know, the maple walnut donut, you know, as it was made in you know the 1950s at the buttercream bakery. You know, it and uh, and it continues to be the most popular choice. Fabulous! And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Uh, this oh. is Bad Lips. That's right, Betty Teller. You're a writer. You should be good at this Mad Libs game. You know how it works. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blanks. We're going to move a bit quickly here. We're running out of time. But, um, you know, first things that pop into your mind, let's just go with the first thing I need is a number. Uh, 9,073. 9,073. Indeed. How about a year? Um, 1823. 1823. A plural noun. More than one thing. Armadillos. (laughs) Okay. Armadillos. Why not? How about an adjective? You must be good at descriptors, writing about food. Stinky. <laughs> oh, great. You can never go wrong with stinky in a Mad Lib. How about another number? Four. Four. An adjective? Silky. Ooh, silky. Another adjective? Clunky. Clunky. Okay. And finally, a noun. Pomegranate. Pomegranate. It's the season. So what I did earlier today is I went on your website, bettyteller.wordpress.com. Oh, my. This is part of your bio, which you have now rewritten via this Mad Lib. And we're going to pick it up. There's more before this and after this, but we're going to pick it up after, right about your work at the Smithsonian. Ready? Here we go. Okay. After 9,073 years at the Smithsonian... (laughs) I moved to Napa in 1823 <laughs> as founding exhibitions director of Copia, the American Center for Wine, Food, and the Armadillos. <laughs> That's good. At Copia, I worked curating the stinky exhibitions, <laughs> writing or editing the text and wall labels for more than four exhibitions. <laughs> was it more than four? Oh, way more it than really four. It really was. Okay. More like 60. Wow. Oh, and I also directed the silky food and wine programs for two years. I like that. Mm. In addition to my regular column in the Napa Register, I have completed numerous feature assignments for clunky magazines. (laughs) I'm working on a few book ideas, including the idea of turning these columns into a pomegranate. (laughs) Let me know what you think, says Betty Teller. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you, Judd. It's been fun. This is Lauren Moll speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.